All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America. Welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we are bringing on our good friend, Michael Orton, the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, great author. He's got a new book out. We're going to be talking about that. To all who call in truth, you want to get this book. It's great. It's fantastic. But Israel, Hamas, there is a major conflict going on, one that we haven't seen at least since 2014, but there's a difference this time around that has Americans, Israelis, the Middle East much more concerned because beyond the traditional rocket attacks, which Hamas has been doing for years, they bomb for a while, they rocket for a while, Israel returns the bomb. At some point, uh, Hamas cries uncle and says, all right, we, we accomplish what we want. Let's have peace for a while. There's something else going on. There is violence in the street, anarchy in the street, lynchings, fightings in places where we haven't seen it before. We're Long-time neighbors, Arab and Israeli, Palestinian, Israeli, are fighting in the streets like what we saw last summer in, in the summer of discontent here in the United States with the BLM protests, the Antifa protests. Um, this is a new dynamic that makes the current situation in Israel where we have a lame duck prime minister, Netanyahu, is waiting to see if the opposition can form a majority of government, uh, where Hamas is active, where Iran is emboldened. There is a witch's brew pot here that has a lot of the national security experts I'm talking to deeply, deeply worried about what's going on here. And uh, we're going to bring you a live report right from Israel, right from Ambassador Orrin, who's been such a good friend of the show, helped us make sense of so much of what's going on from the Abraham Accords to the current moment of strife in the Middle East and, and inside the extraordinary nation of Israel. Uh, so we're going to spend the whole show focused on this. You need to stay on top of this, folks. This is a moment of gravity in the region. Uh, many of the gains made in the last few years, Iran being sanctioned and being put in a box for a while, uh, Palestinians and Israel have, uh, Israelis having a moment of uh, relief and tension. The Abraham Accords are going all because American policy had a clarity, which is if you mess with Israel, you mess with the United States and we're going to take care of you. Just ask General Soleimani, who got knocked off by President Trump. That 
clarity, which gave us a period of stability, much in the line of the peace through strength concepts that Ronald Reagan and his foreign policy gave us uh, four decades ago, in which Donald Trump in many ways replicated. It's been replaced by an ambiguous message. Yes, yesterday, Biden and Blinken made a strong statement supporting Israel, saying they have the right to uh, protect themselves and respond to these terrorist rocket attacks by Hamas. But behind the scenes, they've released money, uh, aid to the Palestinian Authority, taking away any temptation by the Palestinian Authority to come back to the uh, negotiating table with Israel. They've re-engaged in the nuclear arms deal talks with Iran, the greatest sponsor of state terrorism in the world. And by the way, a major sponsor, major facilitator of Hamas, the very bad actors that have ignited this new round of violence and fear in uh, terrorism in Israel. Uh, the, these changes are very important. And in addition, some of the rhetoric for some of the Democrats, certainly not Secretary of State Blinken, who was pretty clear and issued a statement that would be very consistent with what a Bush or a Trump administration might have said in years past. Um, but some of these Democrats, uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and others, are really undercutting the relationship with Israel and the United States, espousing anti-Israel views, embracing a terrorist organization like Hamas, which only sends a signal that is anti-Israel, maybe anti-Semitic, some people think. I, I think that needs to be debated in each person's mind. I'm not suggesting it one way or the other. I'm saying it's what others are observing in this language. We're going to discuss all of this with Michael Oren in just a second. Tremendous talent. Uh, uh, had a great relationship with Joe Biden during the Obama administration. So uh, an ambassador who knows the current president very well, knows the region very well, saw what happened during the Trump years to bring some stability to the region and understands the electoral politics of Benjamin Netanyahu and others in the state. Very um, gifted diplomat, very keen thinker strategically, and also a great writer. Uh, his books are fantastic. I'm going out this weekend and uh, on Amazon and getting the book to all who call in truth. It's the latest book by Mike Horn. We're going to have him here in just a second. Now, before we go to commercial break, I want to just, uh, mention one story on the site today. We continue to file Freedom of Information Act requests, press for information on your behalf so that we can get the truth about the 2020 election. And last night, my good colleague, Natalia Middlestap, came in with a new story, got new FOIAs from the city of Detroit, Wayne County, showing how they reported back to Mark Zuckerberg's group, the Center for Civic and Tech Life, the group that had $350 million to send to election judges and election administrators around the country, trying them to get them to arrange, get out the vote and uh, mail-in voting operations that benefited predominantly Democrats, according to the people I talked to. Well, they reported that they used the money from Mark Zuckerberg. I think it was about $7.4 million, a very large number of dollars uh, for Detroit. They used the money to create a, quote, new order, comma, in elections in Detroit. In other words, they changed the rules they believe forever, which of course would benefit Democrats the way these rules were changed. You've got to read these documents. So many people have suggested that the Zuckerberg money was just simply good governance money uh, given during a pandemic to help out. But when you read the documents, when you see the behaviors, when you see how the money was spent, this money was a Democratic get out the vote operation effort 
masquerading as COVID election aid. Read these documents. Look at the boasting of the uh, city of Detroit election officials. Uh, the same city where we had a whistleblower named Jesse Jacob who identified widespread uh, irregularities in the 2020 election that she herself participated in, admitted to. Uh, she's a longtime city worker, has lots of credibility. Uh, check out that great story by Natalia Middlestat. Now, we're going to do a quick commercial break. When we come back, yep, the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, a friend, a good colleague of Joe Biden, knows President Trump, knows the Republicans, knows this city well, knows the region well. Former Ambassador Michael Oren joining us here on this show right after the commercial break. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, someone who has a new book out, but also who is really an expert on all things Middle East and Israel, former uh, Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren. Mr. Ambassador, thank you for uh, joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, John, as always. I know this is a grievous time in Israel. There's a lot going on. Could you bring us up to speed as you perceive it? Uh, what is going on right now in the conflict? What is the current state of play between Israel and Hamas? Well, you know, it's, it's deja vu, and it's not just all over again. It's many times again. We've right. had the same war, same battle several times. I've, I've participated in several of them as a soldier, uh, and now I'm on the sidelines watching it. Uh, what it is, it begins with Hamas firing rockets at us. This time it began Hamas firing rockets at Jerusalem. Um, Israel retaliates, usually from the air, uh, and then Hamas begins to to, to creep up. It creeps up the coast, literally. The rockets hit around the Gaza Strip, then they hit our southern city of Ashkelon, then our study's southern port of Ashdod, and then finally they hit southern Tel Aviv. And that's where I'm talking to you now, from southern Tel Aviv. And we've been hit by, oh, two major barrages, each of about 100 rockets apiece. Wow. Um, and uh, Iron Dome, our remarkable Iron Dome system, is about 90, 92% uh, effective. That means if they're firing 100 rockets, 10 are getting through. And uh, I've watched those rockets fall. I watched one hit a bus uh, two nights ago. Mm. Uh, and so we're bracing for tonight. Uh, Israel is striking back on a massive scale uh, in, uh, in Gaza. We just uh, heard that the uh, Israeli warplanes struck a, a command intelligence center and killed dozens of Hamas terrorists. Um, but it's, Hamas says it's going to be a long way off before it cries uncle. 
Yeah. What's unusual about this, John, is that we're facing not one crisis but two, and that is what's going on in some of our our cities, some of our mixed cities where Jews and Arabs have lived together um, in close to harmony uh, for now many years, um, in turnus and violence uh, between the two communities, uh, synagogues burned, people shot, people stabbed. Um, I live in a mixed community of Jaffa, um, tense atmosphere here, police in the streets. So far, no violence, uh, thank God. But if you ask 99.9% of the Israelis what they care more about, what they're more concerned about, disconcerted about, it's much more disconcerted about our situation in our cities than we are about the Hamas rockets. That's amazing. Yes. Well, it's the first time we've seen this level of anarchy in the streets. And and you're right, we've had a relative period of peace, at least in the communities. I saw Prime Minister Netanyahu put out a statement saying, hey, end the lynchings, end the violence. Uh, so you really do have, you sort of have a street warfare going on in a way we haven't seen with the traditional rockets. What is the likely Israeli response? Long term, how does Israel put this down and make sure it doesn't uh, uh, escalate out of out of control? Well, with the, with the Hamas situation, again, since we've seen this film so many times before, right. I will keep bombing, they'll keep shooting. Um, we hope we don't get to the situation where we have to move in ground forces because ground forces uh, first of all, we incur more casualties, but we also inflict more casualties because a, a soldier with a machine gun is, is less accurate than a, than a guided missile. That's right. Um, and we're fighting in Gaza, which is densely populated. It's a, it's a nightmare, Gaza. And, uh, and so we hope we don't get to that point. We hope that, that Hamas will cry uncle before that. There'll be international pressure starting very, very soon. We, our clock is, we have maybe six, seven days to, to fight before the pressure begins to, uh, to cease fire. Um, and then it, Hamas will try to get in its major barrages of rockets just before the ceasefire so it declares victory. That's the way it works. Yep. As far as cities, there's no quick fix for this. These are deep-seated problems. All the cities in which this is taking place, all the neighborhoods, are, um, are economically, socially challenged areas. So, for example, Haifa is a mixed city, but it's an overwhelmingly middle-class city, and, and there, there's no violence in Haifa. It, this is areas where you have two underprivileged uh, communities, Jewish and Arab. There's a tremendous level of crime, a lot of weaponry, you know, under the bed. Right. And uh, these are problems that are going to have to be solved through um, social policy, economic policy, education, um, creating uh, benefits and opportunities for jobs, taking the weapons out of the hands of criminals. I mean, some of these problems are are known to inner city America. Um, So, again, no quick fix. Uh, the immediate step is to stop the violence. And um, we have uh, policemen who are reservists are being called up. Hundreds, if not thousands of them are being called up. It was a big debate whether to use the army. And we don't have a National Guard. Um, and the army has never been used in a situation against Israeli citizens. Right. Uh, and so far, there's resistance to calling in the army into these neighborhoods. Now, I want to take us to the Washington response, because there's no more important ally to Israel than the, the United States. And there seems to be uh, three ways to look at it. I think before we get into what Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken, Anthony Blinken said yesterday, uh, how much a factor do you believe the decision by the Biden administration to resume aid to the Palestinian Authority to begin negotiations with Iran, which obviously has backed Hamas for a long time? How big a impetus was this to embolden Palestinian extremists to step up the violence, step up the rocket attacks again? You know, it's difficult to quantify. Um, you know, the, the administration, uh, regrettably, uh, resumed a policy of, of, of 
rewarding the Palestinians for not negotiating. And I don't know who gets into their head that think that they think this is good for the Palestinians. It's actually the worst thing you can do for the Palestinians. It creates a situation where they almost can't negotiate because the, the people will say, what, are you going to negotiate? You're making so much by not negotiating right. when they're making concessions, right? Um, it's also a refunding UNRWA, the UN refugee issue, right. refugee program for the Palestinians, which is the only refugee program in the world which perpetuates a refugee problem, doesn't solve it, and that educates kids to hate Israel. Right? Really, it's, it's, I don't understand why anybody would resume that funding. I think the general message is um, there was a new sheriff in town, and the new sheriff is going to be um, is going to be very low to, to pull his gun uh, out and enforce a type of tough law, except perhaps coming down harder on Israel, because that was the the, the, that was the memory of the Obama administration. Right. Um, so far, I must say, I've been rather pleasantly surprised that the uh, the Biden administration and, and Secretary of State Blinken appear to have been resisting uh, mounting pressure from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party to come down very hard on Israel. I do not know, John, how long they'll be able to resist that pressure. Yeah, in fact, Blinken's statement uh, about Israel's right to defend itself yesterday I actually called the rocket launchers terrorists himself. Uh, would have been something pretty similar, maybe not. Uh, it might have been a little bit different, but it's kind of similar to what a Trump administration might have said or a Bush administration said before. But the reaction from people in Congress was uh, on the left was so harsh. Uh, it, it really shows that well, Republicans are very united on this, right? There's a letter out today, 44 Republican lawmakers asking uh, Joe Biden, don't give sanctions relief to Iran. They're behind this mischief in, in Israel, the violence in Israel. And the Democrats are very divided. How does Joe Biden straddle his own personal views on Israel with this pressure from the far left part of his party? Well, so far, so good. I mean, I, I, as we've told you before, I know Joe Biden very right. well. He was sort of my point of contact in, in my time when, when Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, was boycotting the Israeli embassy. Right. I talked to Joe Biden. And it is, he comes from that generation that has Israel in its heart. He remembers the Six-Day War. He remembers the 1973 Yom Kippur War. He's deeply committed to Israel's security. But he is a Democrat, and uh, he has to answer to a party uh, as well. And um, as you hear it, as you mentioned, that the voices of the Democratic Party that are calling on the administration to start squeezing Israel, uh, to, uh, to criticize Israel, is, 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 are, are growing. And they are going to grow in direct proportion to the number of Palestinian casualties. And you're going to see, there's a, there's a number out there, there's a yeah. red line. I don't know what it is. We haven't reached it yet, but we're getting closer to it. And we're dealing with an enemy, Hamas, that uses its own population as a human shield. Right. They want Israel to kill. A game of chicken, isn't it? Yeah. yeah they want Israel to kill, kill, kill civilians so that then they can have the world delegitimize it. Right. And have the world come in and impose a ceasefire on us that will redound to Hamas's benefit. That's just what they want. They're very clever. And so the Democratic Party, the progressive wing, plays right into that, right into that. Because they're going to say, look at the massacre in Gaza. Look at all the civilians being killed. Let's come down hard on Israel and impose a ceasefire. Now, people have described the, the far left reaction to this in very different way. One is anti-Israel. One is uh, pro-Palestinian. A third is maybe a little bit of anti-Semitism. When you look at the things that Ilhan Omar has said and, and um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said, do you worry that there is a undercurrent of, of anti-Semitism that comes in within their, their words, within their implied messages to the, to the world? Well, it's anti-Semitic is certainly in effect, if not intent. 
in the sense that they're singling out Israel, that no other country is being treated in this way. Right. Um, they're, they're ignoring the fact that, that millions of Israelis are under a rocket fire. They think that because that has something to do with the peace process. <laughs> as, if, as if there were peace between Israel and the Palestinians tomorrow, Hamas wouldn't be firing rockets at us. Right. Hamas is going to destroy the state of Israel, you know, irrespective of who we make peace with. That's right. Um, nothing it's state of mission. To that, nothing to Jerusalem. This is a genocidal jihadist organization that is committed to our destruction, which has an anti-Semitic charter. Read that charter. Yeah. Like, Jews are blamed for World War One, World War Two, everything, bubonic plague. Um, and this is the organization that these members of Congress are supporting. So by supporting an anti-Semitic organization, doesn't that make you a little bit anti-Semitic? It's, it's pretty remarkable and a very important question. And it wasn't that long ago when some of these members were frightened by what happened at the Capitol and wanted you know, the, themselves to be defended, yet they seem to want to deprive Israel of being able to protect itself. Certainly in its words, it's very interesting dynamic to, to watch their behavior and their perspective change based on the circumstances. Um, Republicans, Iran, I want to, I want to zero in on Iran because I think behind all this is, is the larger issue of Iran's meddling. How big an alliance does Iran have with Hamas right now? How responsible is Iran for what's going on right now? And, uh, what is the end game for both Israel and the United States to try to push back on this? So, um, uh, Iran is a major sponsor of Hamas. Hamas's big uh, competitor in the Gaza Strip, an organization called Islamic Jihad, is wholly owned and controlled by Tehran. Both organizations use Iran-made missiles. Most of the missiles and rockets being fired at us are not homemade, right. not made in Gaza, but actually smuggled in from yeah, Iran. They're exported. And if they weren't smuggled in, not, the people who made the rockets were trained by the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, usually in Damascus. So Iran is, is everywhere here. Now, Iran has a great interest in getting Israel bogged down in a, a ground war in Gaza. They're willing to fight uh, Israel to the last Palestinian. They don't care. And this does a, num this has a number of benefits for Iran. It, it detracts uh, Israel's attention from Iranian efforts to, to transform Syria into a forward military base against us. It takes pressure off Iran in the Iran uh, nuclear uh, talks going on in Vienna. Right. Um, it, it makes America come down harder, perhaps, on, on, uh, on Israel later, and Israel will be then preoccupied with dealing with American pressure about Gaza and not focused on Iran nuclear deal. It, it all really renounced the benefit of Iran. And I think it's very important that American policymakers be, be cognizant of that and understand that this game is a very complex game. Um, the Iranians claim to have invented chess, John. John and uh, they play on not one board, but three boards at the same time. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. Yeah. I mean, you, you hear that from our intelligence agencies. We, um, we, we don't respect, uh, or most Americans don't understand the complexity by which Iran plays in, in destabilization politics. It's remarkable. They, they never fail to impress me. Um, no, no. They're patient and they're strategic, and uh, and they're not afraid to to lose lives in the effort to uh, to gain whatever strategic hold they want. And I think that's what we're seeing play out right now. As you look at the internal state of uh, Israel's politics, last time you were on, you did a great job helping us understand what was going on. You've got a prime minister who's sort of a lame duck in the respect that the other uh, side of uh, the political spectrum has been given a chance to put together a coalition government after uh, Benjamin Netanyahu had failed to put one together. How does the internal politics of Israel affect abil uh, Israel's ability to respond? Uh, could there be a change in course midway through if a different coalition government came up? Or does this actually strengthen 
Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, hand because Israelis have long trusted him to deal with Hamas. What are what are the dynamics of the internal politics? I'll really confuse you by saying the answer to all those questions is yes. <laughs> yeah, that's confused me. You won. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go. I'll let me unpack it. I'll tell you why. Okay, because please. Yes, has the 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 morass of Israeli politics uh, contributed to the outbreak of this of this fighting? Yes, I think it has. I mean, it's difficult to quantify again, but. You know, Hamas is obviously looking at an Israeli government, which is, is not in, in a great position right. uh, to govern and, and to make the hard decisions. And I think that was part of the calculus on the, on the Hamas side. So the answer is definitely yes. Has it impacted Israel's ability to deal with this? I know from my own field, I, you know, I'm, I'm going on uh, many international uh, news sites tonight. I'm not a spokesman for the Israeli government, but I do this, you know, sort of my own, uh, out of my own time, my own volunteering, but I need cooperation from the government. I have to know what their positions are. And in previous rounds of fighting, there was always a, you know, an emergency center set up that developed messages, what are our positions that, you know, got uh, media out, and, and there's been nothing, been nothing. And I'm looking at, a, at, that, at that unit that's just not functioning, and that's going to have an impact. Yeah, it has to. Media in, in a crisis like this has one profound function, and that is to provide time and space for our forces to do the work. Because um, without that media explanation, you know, world community, world opinion is going to turn against us very, very fast. Um, so that the answer there is yes as well. But does this, does this redound to BB's benefit? The answer is yes, again, because it created a situation where the Arab parties that were going to support an anti-BB coalition government made up of both right-wing and left-wing governments those Arab parties now will not support nope. a Jewish Zionist coalition. Right. And the right-wing parties in that coalition will not accept the votes of an, an Arab and often Islamic extremist party. Yep. And so the so far now, I'm not saying this is not going to continue indefinitely, um, so far the anti-BB coalition has not been able to, to cobble together a coalition. And the clock is ticking because they only had 21 days to do this before we go back to the fifth round of elections. And in a very ironic way, you know, I always say that Hamas, in order to win, has only not to lose. But Netanyahu also, if he doesn't, he doesn't have to win in order to lose, in order to, he doesn't win, he only right. has not to lose. Right. And so he goes to be prime minister for another four or five months. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. And then there'll be another election, right? That'll be the next uh, piece of the puzzle if, if this plays out. As you look at the line of succession, um, it seems as though, and again, this is what I hear from U U.S. intelligence and from American politicians, and I may be wrong about what they're telling me, but it seems as though is Israelis still love the policies of Benjamin Netanyahu, but may have tired of the personality or the controversy or whatever around him. Is there someone like yourself or Ron Dermer or someone else in the political spectrum that could step in and fill the policy promises that Benjamin Netanyahu has always strongly stood for that have been so popular, uh, but maybe deflect some of the controversy that seems to have beset himself over the last four to five years. Well, I think you're putting your finger on it. It's not a matter of policy. It's a matter of personality. Yep. Eric, um, the policies, there are very many policy differences between many of these parties, particularly the parties on the right, which are the majority of the party. Right. Uh, maybe some of the far left part, the parties have different policies, but not much. The question is this: the 
the position of the prime minister of Israel, and I tell you this as someone who has worked with prime ministers and with presidents, right. is simply the hardest job on this planet. Nothing like it. You know, John, the American president goes off and plays golf. Yep. You know, there's, <laughs> you there's no time for that in Israel. <laughs> You've never seen the Israeli prime minister ever take a day of vacation. No. Ever, ever, ever. Not a night, not a weekend. Nope. And not everybody can do that. And, and Bibi, you know, for all of his, you know, sometimes Greek tragic flaws, uh, <laughs> he has agonistes. He's an economist. He's a statesman. He's a politician. He's a strategist. Uh, he is physically immensely robust. Oh yep. my God. Everyone drops dead around. He's a very difficult act to follow. Yeah, he is. And not everybody can, can do this. And so I look around at the, the field. Um, I see people in the opposition who are exhausted. Maybe he never looks exhausted. Right. And I said, well, who can actually physically do this? Because <laughs> right. it does take a toll. It does. It takes a huge toll. And uh, you've seen the, you know, the four and after pictures of Lincoln. Right. Uh, right. Yep. And uh, so maybe someone like your Lapid with the right type of advisors. Right. Uh, and he's he, he a reason of advisors. But there's no way that your Lapid's ever going to be the economist that Netanyahu is. Right. No way he's ever going to be the, 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 the international strategist and diplomat. That BDS, the statesman. Um, nobody do. There are a couple of very good, smart people, uh, like Pierre Lapid, like uh, like Bennett, Nathalie Bennett, like Gideon Star. Good people, good politicians uh, with leadership qualities. But again, no, no one can check all those boxes. That's a hard one. Yeah, no, he is a hard act to follow, and that's why he's still in. I think in power because the Israelis have just not found someone with all of the unique blend of skills and, and uh, stamina that he, he brings to the table. Um, you have a new novel out and it traffics in something I think is important. The word truth. I love the word truth because so often in today's society, we lack truth in, in, in our institutions and, and from our media in some cases. Tell us what inspired you to write this book and, and, and what, does it, what, what does it mean in this moment in world history? Well, it, it's called To All Who Call in Truth. It, it's from Psalm uh, 145, right? Uh, which said by uh, religious people at least three, four times a day in the Jewish religion, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. And I think it's, in many ways, it's the essential statement of faith. Uh, you believe that, that, you know, that God is close to you if you call to him in, in truth. Right. Uh, this is a, a story that's set in, in 1972 in a small American town uh, about a, a junior high school uh, guidance counselor and football coach. If you love football, you're going to love this book. And, <laughs> I do uh, love football, so I'm in. <laughs> and it's about, it's about an everyman, an everyman who gets caught up in a, in a relationship which is very complex and obsessive and ultimately dangerous. There's a murder involved. Um, and so I'm, I'm dealing with the truth. Here is a simple person, a, not a simple person, but an everyday person grappling with truth, trying to get to his own truth, trying to establish, if he can, some type of relationship with God. It's also about a community in that way, and, um, and, and, and sometimes failing, sometimes succeeding, you know, like we all do, like we all do. I also wanted to go back to the early 1970s, not only because it was a world that I knew very well, but right. uh, it's a world that's been lost, but it's also a world that evokes, in so many ways, our present condition. Doesn't it? It's like true. Do our God. But, you know, if you were to ask young Americans back in the early 70s whether the country had a future, They'd be very skeptical. They were. Because the campuses were on fire and federal buildings were being blown up. Yeah, we had the Kent State like shooting. Yeah. Very bleak period. And so it's, 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 it, it evokes, I think, much of the, of the anxiety of our, of our current situation. 
it's it's so interesting. And yet that moment of um, anxiety, of uncertainty, of in some cases, uh, uh, lack of trust in America gave way to you know one of the great eras of American history, the 80s and 90s with robust economies and the Reagan and the defeat of Cold War. Do you see, if this is a cycle of history, uh, is there a, uh, a light at the end of this tunnel? Do you see a moment where some of the forces that have gotten us fighting among ourselves or uh, lost faith in, in freedom and institutions and all the things that make America and the American-Israeli relationship good. Do you see a period now where we may evolve from some of this darkness and get back to uh, a period of peace through strength? Yes, but there are great obstacles. And there are obstacles that uh, that were beginning to emerge in the 1970s, but have come you know, full blossom, not the least of which is that the, the elite universities uh, in the United States uh, produce graduates who don't necessarily believe in the United States. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so I, and amazing, don't think that the United States is that you know exceptional country that's worth defending and fighting for, or that it has a mission to be the leader of the free world. Um, but these are, you know, for a country like Israel or a country like Japan, Germany, South Korea, an America that believed in itself and believed in its global mission was 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 actually essential, essential to our our strategic outlook, to our defense. Right. Uh, and we have to rethink that. So many, many, there have been historical processes afoot in the United States that have nothing to do with the Middle East, nothing to do with East Asia. It has to do with what's going on internally. Yep. A country that right now we see that can't figure out how best to police itself is not going to be busy policing the world and is not in a position to project major power uh, almost anywhere, yep. almost, any, almost in any circumstances. So that, that is, a, is a very big difference from, say, the early 70s. Because the United States, you know, then turned around and uh, waged a successful first Gulf War uh, and plus, you know, operations in the Caribbean and was able to project power and then win the Cold War. Exactly. And our ability to uh, that soft power is really undercut by our own internal strife and our own doubt in ourselves that's being expressed by an entire generation of Americans and their political leaders. It's really remarkable. You're the third or fourth world leader I've heard say this in the last um, a few months. Uh, 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 Merkel said something similar. The Mexican president said something similar. I was with an ambassador currently posted here in the United States, and they all have great love for the United States, and they feel sad for what they see playing out. It's it's really remarkable to hear you you say this. So the book is To All Who Call in Truth. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, how do we get this book? It's on Amazon, I assume. Easy to get there? Amazon. It's in digital. It's in audio. It's in any any of the, uh, the book... Uh, uh, sites on uh, in the internet. Um, I imagine it's in bookstores too. But we can't get to them right now. And right now, our airport is pretty much closed. So yeah, <laughs> not, yeah not isn't so that frustrating. Yet. Yeah, we're, we'll get there yeah. eventually. But well, I know what I'm doing when I get off here. We're gonna I'm gonna buy that and bring it uh, home for the weekend. And uh, I just love your writing. I love your perspective. We're so blessed to have you on this show. And I, I thank you so much for all the insights that we learned a lot. And I think this uh, we're gonna need to back on soon to help make sense more of all that's going on there. It's always a delight and an honor. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Take care. You too. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. 
You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, it wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So glad you could join us today. Yes, it was a weighty discussion, but you know what? We need to be informed. We need to be on top of things. What's happening in Israel has the potential to spread. It could escalate. And what is different is it isn't just the rocket attacks. Pay attention to what's going on in some of these mixed city communities where Arabs and Israelis have lived peacefully together for a long time. There seems to be an instigation of street violence, lynchings, attacks, fistfights, knifings. There is a crisis in the Middle East that we haven't seen in many, many years, certainly not since the Obama era. And there are some differences to it that make me and others who I talk to wonder about Iran's role, about the strategy here. And then, of course, the American response is divided. Republicans are united in response. supporting Israel. President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken have been united, sound very much like the Republicans, defending Israel's rights to defend. But the left flank, the very large left flank of Joe Biden's party is applying pressure that may eventually have an impact to separate Joe Biden from Israel, to denounce what Israel's doing, to maybe preclude Israel's ability to respond to what's going on. These are perilous times. These are the important stories. Why we have the podcast, why we have just the news. We'll keep you up to date, but keep an eye on this great um, uh, site that we do here in, in this podcast. We're going to every day bring you updates from the ground on Israel. It is such an important story. All right, folks, have a great night. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading justthenews.com. Uh, thank you for joining our VIP club, where for $5 a month, you can get rid of all the ads and autoplay videos and get a, a once a month event to join with me and other great reporters at Just the News to make sense of what's going on. We're very grateful. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. Until then, God bless and good night. 
At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.